Welcome to Music City Revival. This is podcast episode number seven. I'm your host, Dan Hagen, and our special guest today is Brenda Lynn Allen. And Brenda was born and raised in Columbia, Tennessee. She's been singing her whole life. She's worked as a board-certified activity professional and long-term care, short-term rehab center where uh, she's used her music with people one-on-one at bedside and groups and also educated people on the healing power of music. Her style of music is traditional country music. She's open for country legends such as Leona Williams, Sylvia, Doug Stone, David Frizzell. Uh, most recently, she's open for Grand Old Opry member Rhonda Vincent. She's had numerous appearances on 650 WSM in Nashville, including three appearances on the Ernest Tubb Midnight Jamboree as a guest to Jim Glazer and Bobby Marquez. She's had multiple nominations by the AWA, the Academy of Western Artists, uh, out of Texas in the categories of Song of the Year 2018, Pure Country Female Artist, and for her radio show uh, and her radio station. Uh, and she started her own station and uh, her, her own radio station in the spring of 2020, and that's WKRM 103.7 FM. And uh, so how are you, Brenda? I am doing great. Thank you for having me here today. Absolutely. Yeah. So great uh, to have you here on the other side, right? Yes. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. You've been in I just a small correction. WKRM is the okay. local station in Columbia. Yeah. And I started my own show and they opened uh, my show or they opened their doors to have me on their station. So and you've been on my show. Yes. Yeah. Twice. And the first time was as guitarist for our buddy uh, Ross. Right? Yes, Ross Walters. Great musician. Great mm-hmm. guy. And, and yeah, you guys were so much fun that day. And I was so excited when you you said you were coming back to showcase your new music. Yeah, and it's fun. It's you know, uh, you're somebody like me where we wear different hats, right? And we have to like know what hat we're wearing. And it's fun to have different hats. And it, I, I think, just even thinking about you, the more I learn about you, you're like me. That you know, even keeping other doors open that aren't directly your artist thing provides more opportunities even for your artist credits. You know, it's it's fun how that works. It's kind of that theory of, you know, serve others and good things will come back to you, you know? Absolutely. And as you know, it's a lot of fun yes, to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's great to meet all these people and hear all these stories, you know? Um, so, yeah. So you tell us how you started your your radio show when the you know covid uh you know everything kind of you know went crazy they closed everything down they canceled your shows and i you know there's been a saying i've been using like the whole pandemic is pivot and adapt like you can't control mm-hmm. what is you know some of these things that happen to you but how you react and how you can you know in my case and and clearly yourself learning how to thrive despite the world around you looking pretty glim. So how did that how it unfold for you? It was really amazing. Uh, it really was. And as I, after, you know, speaking with you a few times, I know that you understand the magic or synchronicity that happens in life, you know. So it was really cool how it came about. So I've worked in music full time for the last few years. Uh, as you introduced, I used to be a board certified activity coordinator. And I loved that, but I couldn't balance my music in that anymore. So I'd been a full time musician for the past few years. And I would play um, private shows at assisted livings, you know, nursing care centers private parties and also you know a lot on the stages I was always going and doing uh, and then that as you know 
uh, it closed down for us. And so I started doing a couple of live streams during the quarantine. You know, I know people were really craving that interaction. So I started doing Facebook Live and got a great reaction from that. It was so much fun. I enjoyed it. On the side, I was mowing lawns for friends. So I was push mowing, you know, and that was that was fun. You know, I enjoyed getting out in the sun and things. But it was such a blessing the day I got a call to come visit uh, WKRM in Columbia. I had done a little bit of work with them in the past as far as reading commercials or I even did a, a morning show with them where I had like a 15-minute segment on there interviewing musicians a few years back. But that was only once a week. And and so I wasn't, I didn't have a whole lot of radio experience when it came to that. But they, kept, they said, uh, we'd like for you to bring us a show five days a week and you can play whatever you want. We want you to promote all the local artists you know. And we want you to promote your own career, play live on the air. It is your show three hours a day, five days a week. Will you do it? And I said, absolutely. You know, this was perfect timing. And in the past, I would have said, absolutely not. I don't have time to do anything five days a week like this. But it slowed me down. We were all forced to slow down. And it's a crazy thing. But over the past year and a half, 150 interviews, all this music uh, that I've had the honor of helping get out there in the world, I've more has happened in my career in the last year and a half than it did spinning my wheels for a couple of years, you know? It's the most amazing thing. And, and since we're on a podcast, you can't see, but like I, I've always tell people my experience in the music industry, sometimes you have a goal that's directly in front of you and you think that it's a direct straight line that gets you there, that, that oh, I just... I want to be a famous singer-songwriter or whatever, and you think, oh, well, I'll just go this way. And I've found that every little zigzag, you know, turn, whatever, is really how you get there in your flexibility to just adapt to, uh, you know, how things are. And sometimes you get asked to do something that you can't see how that correlates directly to your main goal, but in some amazing way it does. Yes, absolutely. And that's why... You know, when I first moved to town, you know, in Nashville, people said, you're either a producer, you're either a songwriter, you're either a road guy, you're, you know, and if you play jazz, it's a four-letter word and you'll never do sessions in this town. And I, and <laughs> I, I looked at all these people and I said, fantastic, I can't wait to prove all of you wrong because you just named all the things I want to do and I'm just going to do them and I'm going to play jazz and I'm going to play sessions and that's exactly what I've done and there were times I remember you know running into a, a friend of mine who who was doing things how he thought was the straight up the barrel I'm playing on country demo sessions and touring with you know um you know country artists and uh you know, working my way up to master sessions or whatever. And I was, you know, started this jingle business. And I was doing r- music for reality shows on CMT and playing jazz gigs and producing a bunch of artists and doing a bunch of random things. And he kind of looked at me and he goes, well, you know, you can't, you really have to pick one thing and, and do that. And uh, it was the weirdest thing. Cause I was looking at him just telling him, well, no, I'm actually doing all those things. It's not hypothetical. <laughs> it's actually my life. And I just kind of said, Hey, it was great to see you. Have a great night. It was the end of the conversation, right? Gotcha. He was in his box, mm-hmm. and I was way outside of it and, like, scared him. And the moral of this story is back in the day, it was be a specialist, do one thing, a one-trick pony, and that's how you succeed. And I just didn't think that way because I had all these different passions and different talents and things that I wanted to pursue. And it turns out that people like us that have diversified are the only people that are still in the music industry because, I mean, how many full-time session players can you name? How many, you know, people that are able to make just their money on the road? Like, you have to diversify, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that it's, you know, your diversity is your strength nowadays because Mm -hmm. also it's, you know, not only do those different avenues lead to different opportunities, but they're different income streams, right? Absolutely. And hey, we're dealing with inflation and and all kinds of things. We need more income streams, not less. As a matter of fact, I kind of think you have to be making more money all the time just to, you know, be able to have the same lifestyle you did six months ago, just factoring in inflation, things getting more expensive and all that. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. So they presented this to you. They had this whole vision because 
in my mind, I figured you must have like come up with this genius plot and approached them with it. But they came to you. Yeah. And you think. You know, part of that could have been because you were on the radar doing live streams. Did that? Did that? I had relationships uh, with with some of the folks at the station by reading commercials in the past and doing right. things. Um, I had hosted uh, like some live shows for them that were local, um, but that was by the previous manager. They were under new ownership at this station, and. One person said to another, you know, a great uh, guy named J.P. Plant, who's the programmer over there, he recommended me for it. I had met him through another, uh, their past manager, Marty, Marty V. He was from the Netherlands, great guy. And so it just, it's a small town, you know, word got around. But I, I would like to think, and I really feel like I've always wanted to be in a place where I could promote all this. I had all these CDs in my music room that I've uh, met these great artists over the years, you know what that's like, yeah. you know, going to these great places like Kimbrough's and they hand you, hand you their CD. And I always, I always had this, uh, dream that that CD wouldn't just sit there in that room. And these business cards, I would at some point have some kind of platform where it would all fuse together and it ended up being this show. So to me, it was a dream come true for them to reach out. So, uh, you know, pr- answer to a prayer, yeah. you know, and sometimes those come out of nowhere. You never know uh, where they're going to come from. Yeah, and, you know, I can say somebody on the other side, you know, like I was, you know, first asked to accompany Ross, and he was, you know, that was his dream, releasing his songs as somebody who's also been a career sideman for others, Mm -hmm. and that was his opportunity, and that parlayed to, you know, meeting you and saying, hey, if you have some music, and it's like, hey, I've got this signal, and it was a perfect opportunity. It was the first time that I played my single rise, so... For somebody like me, yeah, you were helping to fill, fill my dream. So it's it's amazing how that works and how, you know, you really do empower yourself by empowering other people and how that all comes around. You Absolutely, because the joy that I got that day, knowing that that was the first time it was getting airplay and you were having so much fun, that was my dream you know it was fun because it's joy i mean you know you you got to have joy in life you know and the name of my show around the bend yeah with brenda lynn it's because you never know what's coming around the bend but try to have a optimistic idea of what that might be and in this case with that radio show coming around the bend you know it was a great thing so and that's a lot of work too but if you're you're doing a show five days a week and you have it how many guests per show do you have on i don't have a guest every day but i have them very very often so there are some days that i do go in and i spin records i play the music you know and i talk and i promote their shows um but I have, like I said, uh, 150 interviews, I think, since I started. Yes, because yeah. we're talking about that since the spring of 2020, mm-hmm. you've done 150. That's quite a bit. It is. It is. And it's amazing. Local artists, uh, people just moving to the Nashville area, uh, country legends. You know, Buddy Jules stopped in the studio. Billy Dean was there last week. And it's just been a great thing because like, artists like Billy Dean, for instance, who had a bunch of hits in the uh, 90s, He's still putting out great music. So we're able to play these new singles from, you know, these country legends. Some people don't even know that they still have their music going so strong, you know. So it's a platform for everybody. It's it's an amazing thing, that phenomenon, because somebody like him is never stopped touring, never make stopped making records. And has, in his following, he has his following. Mm-hmm. It's just that his career became disconnected from modern radio that's very short-sighted, right? Right. So it's it's fun probably to be able to share the story so people know, hey, you know, like what's what's happening with this artist. But I've noticed a wide spectrum from up-and-coming artists to more established artists and everything in between. And it's cool, too, because you realize – People are just human beings, right? And that fame means nothing at all. And really the thing that I've discovered is you're either one of two things. You're a cool person, you're a really nice person, or you're kind of a douchebag. Like there's not (laughs) much in between when it comes to artists, right? It's like how did somebody make you feel? Did they feel like – did they validate you? They you know, make you feel like you're important? And isn't it amazing? Have you discovered that people that have this, those golden personalities that treat everybody like gold, those are always the most successful people. And it's simply 
because people want to be in a room with them. They make mm-hmm. you feel good, right? Mm-hmm. So that what you have as the uh, uh, as you know somebody who interviews somebody on the radio station is the same type of energy that people love you on stage for. It's that glow. It's that that hope and that you know. It's that I like to say we, with music, we're able to take people temporarily away from the tyranny of ordinary life yeah there's yeah. something magic about what you so you know that spirit you have translates on stage and on the mic when you're talking to other people and and i think more than anything it's like being a great producer you're empowering people and their best and i know like when i was on your show i felt like special like the way you treated me i was well, like you are. Oh, this is cool you know you are uh but that matters like and how i felt about it you know and 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 that's just you know that's a special ability and i know you're that way too because you're talking about it but i think it's so important like if i'm playing a song from somebody that is 17 years old that just put the song out yesterday you know i don't think there should be any um distinction between that and somebody who is a, a signed art, artist you know that's amazing i love to play martina mcbride's yeah. music so you know having them right next to each other they're both human beings they're both doing what they love to do there's no unsigned signed independent artists this, i think stacking it all up together you know because yeah. we're all doing this yeah. you know everybody they're sharing their talents you know and the other stuff is just business. Yeah. You know. Well, back to what you said about like a 17-year-old person, you know, just like I just posted, you know, this thing that was uh uh it was BB King's birthday the other day. And when I was 18, I had a life-changing experience. I got to meet him. I was an intern in a studio and and you know, I mean, it was one of those things where it was a perfect opportunity. He was my biggest idol. I knew he was coming. I'd seen him perform a couple times and he was coming for a, a Greyhound to record a Greyhound jingle. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this song. So I'm going to sing it. And I had no confidence in myself, you know, singing at all. But somehow I knew I'm going to sing for B.B. King, right? And I, so I'm sitting there at the, you know, studio. I was an intern. I mean, I just, I, my, a friend of my mom's, you know, owned the studio or a friend of a friend. And uh, and I was there to get coffee, to roll up chords, whatever it took. I wanted to be in the scene. I want, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan recorded most of his records, or I think like five of his records. And I was immersed in it. But when I knew BB was coming, I sat at the front desk. I had my guitar. I'm like, there's no way he's going to miss me. And he didn't. He walked in. And he, he goes, now, son, you know, when I go, when I'm finished working, I'm going to pull you outside. We're going to have a little heart to heart. And we had 45 minutes. And I sang his song to, me and, to him. And he was the nicest, kindest person I've ever met in my life. And he met, it made me feel like so special. But you know, it also, it, it just thinking back, there's two things I can think of that one opportunity. I showed up with a guitar. Mm -hmm. There was no, I wasn't the quiet, shy guy. I was strumming my guitar. I was playing some blues, you know, and I'm like, he's not going to miss me. But I also think about what you're saying about the 17 year old is there was something that I had to have had that radiated that that got bb's attention right Mm -hmm. and so it's an interesting thing is my whole life i've spent uh you know so much time hanging out with older people that had all this experience and i think looking back they liked my energy and my passion i wasn't jaded i was full and now as i get older i'm fueled off younger people too i'm you know kind of bored by people it doesn't matter age you right. can have somebody who's 75 and they're still on fire. Somebody like Loretta Lynn, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it has nothing to do with age. And I realize that I still have that thing. You still have that thing. And that is something, I don't even know how you describe it, but it's some kind of energy thing. It's a passion that people are attracted to, right? I, I liken it to radio waves. Yeah. And, oh, uh, wow. you know, the frequency. It's a frequency thing, you know? Uh, you can tune to it. See, and now we're going to get into 432. I'm telling talking. you, I'm telling you, I, I, I feel like I have to be in a certain frequency to write a song, you know, and I can be in another one, but you're going to get a whole new song. Didn't we <laughs> yeah. have a conversation when we were talking? We got into it because I, you know, recorded Rise in 432 and I probably started talking about, yeah. you know, Dear Future yeah. and all the things and recorded at 432. I was so interested in that. Yeah. That was and a great conversation. Didn't you like have a song or something or you explored 432 and you had a song you wanted to record? 
Ford at 432. Uh, well, I, Jamie Mays, do you know Jamie Mays? Uh, I'm not sure if you know him, a great musician. He had told me about that years okay. ago, and it's when I was working at the nursing care center. And we had a lady there who was in a, kind of a comatose state. She was only in her late 30s, and she had been in that uh, shape for a while um, after a car wreck. Before that, she was singing herself, and she was running um, long distances and doing things, track. Um, so I always wanted to reach this girl. So I would I would always look for things. And when Jamie Mays mentioned that, because I'd never heard about that before, that opened my ears and eyes, uh, I started playing her music in uh, 432, you know, just to kind of see which music could almost almost always connect with this girl. I would get some kind of response from her. But I started uh, using that. You started using music at 432. I did off of YouTube, you know, oh, kind of getting wow. them yeah, yeah. that way and headphones and trying it that way. And so for people who are maybe hearing this for the this, you know, idea of 432 hertz for the first time, you know, it's basically um, everything in nature. I say God, it is God's tuning. Everything in nature, the birds are chirping, um, you know, everything is operating at 432 hertz. And, uh, you know, the theory is that originally music years ago, 60 years ago, was, you know, was, you know, uh, played that that standard tuning was 432 and they moved it up to 440. You can go down the rabbit hole of who you think was the person who made that happen and why. But the, the big thing is that music sounds better. It's more peaceful. It's more clear as a producer. You can hear like every note. But, you know, you could go on YouTube and you could listen to a Bob Marley song, you know, get up, stand up at 432 and 440 and hear the difference. Hmm. I, I I did that to a guitar student of my uh, of mine recently, I don't know, maybe five months ago. Um, and he's a gifted, you know, like 10 year old and he's really smart, but he's also, you know, a little bit of a troublemaker in school. But because he's so smart, he's so sharp. And I was I was telling him about 432, and I pulled up like a Bob Marley song at 432. I played it for him. Then I played the same song right after at 440, and he goes, "Ooh, stop! No, Mr. Dan, please stop. Turn that off right now." I'm ser-. he got totally frustrated. Wow. Like the difference of hearing it, like it totally it was his real instinct. It was you know, and I was like, "Wow, that's really powerful." So to me. When I listen to something at 432 and then at 440, the 440 sounds distorted. Mm-hmm. And, That's interesting. You know, I, I, see, I'm very new to this this mm-hmm. kind of knowledge. Uh, yeah. What I just shared with you is about yeah. my extent of it. Yeah. But, but that's interesting. And yeah. so I've been recording everything at 432. And it's a, it's an interesting thing because, you know, part of that journey, some of that stuff is has been with Zach, who's in the studio with us right now, Zach Siepel. And... Uh, it's a it's the tough thing about recording it and being a producer who's sold on it mm-hmm. is selling an artist on it who doesn't know anything about it and you know my first experience like you know I, I had a friend that told me about a record he he produced in Atlanta and it was at 4:32 and he had to tune the piano the night before and then have the piano tune the next day because a stringed instrument like that's going to move. Like a guitar, if you go into a different tuning, you have to tune it a couple times. Well, how do you explain as you know a producer to an artist, now your piano tuning just got twice as expensive for something I'm telling you you need, but you can't see the value in it, right? Yeah. That's, that's difficult. So when we did Dear Future, what we did is we recorded the whole thing at 440, and it was really like a random thing. The artist came in, Corey, and I was telling her about 432. And I said, maybe we should mix this at 432. And an interesting phenomenon, auto-tune goes to 431.9. They don't want you to go right to 432. You can, huh. you can, whoever you want to say why that is, whatever conspiracy. <laughs> that's, a that, that's a whole other show. That's a whole other show down the rabbit hole with Brenda Lynn. Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I do that sometimes. Yeah, but you know, um, but it, you know, they clearly don't want you, and in, in it, you know, four thirty-one point nine isn't going to quite cut it, you know. And so, what we figured out, what Zach asked me, is how many cents is a hertz, and I think we figured out eight cents is a hertz, right? So to go down eight from four forty, it was eight, you know, hertz times 
you know, it was, you know, eight times, uh, was it four is 32? Was it? Yeah, 32. Mm-hmm. Four cents. Four cents per, per hertz. So four times eight is 32. Mm-hmm. That's how we did it. That's that's why we have people that are smarter than us in the studio that <laughs> can think like this, you know? And so we mix it that way where he went down, you know, 32 cents, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess you don't want to lose 32 cents with the inflation nowadays, right? <laughs> but you got to be careful about that. Uh, but that's how we did it. Now, the that track did not have um, piano, keyboards, anything like that. But on Rise, I didn't want to do the 432 conversion in the mix. I wanted it to feel 432. And as a singer, too... You know, you, you can say Jimi Hendrix, Steve Ray Vaughan, all the guys in the 70s are, were always tuned down to E-flat, which I think Hendrix was maybe at 432 on some things. But part of that, I can equate that to a lot of rock blues songs are in E. Mm-hmm. One, it's easier to bend strings, and somebody like Steve Ray Vaughan's got these big old strings, but it's also easier to sing. Sometimes E for a male vocalist is slightly high, so E-flat's a little bit easier, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, but what we did, I wanted it to feel like 432 and that whole vibe. And because um, there's something how it makes you feel when you're producing the music, when you're making the music, you know, that's important. Um, and so I we did the drums, guitar, bass. When it got to keys, I asked Michael Hicks, hey, are you familiar with 432? And I think I had seen him post on Facebook about it. So I was like, OK, I know he's into it. And I said, you know, can you do it? He goes, well, you know, I'm into it. I've never done it. I don't know what to do. So what we did is I sent the rough mix to Zach. He zapped it back to 440 Uh to send Michael to Michael so he could record the the keys of Oregon at 440 like normal. He didn't have to do anything. Then we just took those keyboard parts and put it back to 432 and kept going at 432. Yeah. So that's a little secret that I'm sharing with the, the internet, the, <laughs> the cool. interwebs, uh, if you want to, you know, do that. But um, no, it's a fun thing, you know, and there's different tunings, too. There's, I mean, I think there's like a 444 yeah, and Yeah, I've been looking things, those up. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. So... Um, so you've like met all these incredible people, and I'm sure great things have happened since you've been doing this radio show, right? I mean, one, you're you're playing your music too, so you're mm-hmm. promoting yourself. I mean, as an artist, hey, it's great. It's kind of like Cheers, you know. It's your bar. It's nice to have a place <laughs> to play your music. So it is neat. I close every one of my shows out with one of my songs. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So you've got a project coming out in October, right? Your third studio project. So can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, I'm going to release uh, seven songs. They call them EPs now, but I yeah. still do physical copies of CDs because my audience still, you know, likes them. So uh, yeah, I got seven songs coming out. Um, two of them were uh, written by some friends of mine. Uh, and one of them is a well known country cover song called On Top of the World uh, that the Carpenters also did. And then uh, the other ones I, I wrote or co-wrote. So yeah, I'm excited about putting those out. One of them, one of the songs on there is called Familiar Sunshine, and that's going to be the name of the, the project coming out. And that is the song that you and I did talk about on the air that I said, that would be kind of fun to try recording that in that frequency. Yeah, but I didn't this time. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it, the reason I say that song was that song wrote itself and was like an instant download in my brain. And I always thought that it was just a special song to me, you know. Sweet. So what do you have in your head, like some kind of promotional plan? How do you want? Are you going to promote the whole thing as an EP or release singles one by one? What's what's your philosophy? So I'm like a few weeks away from this. And today I was like, Brenda, you don't even have a plan. (laughs) But I have watched some artists putting out the singles week to week. And that is very Uh smart. And Mm -hmm. I like it. Um, An artist I listen to quite a bit, uh, country music artist, uh, Tia Goins. She's a great artist. And she's always got such a great way of releasing new music. And she did put out one single each week and then put out the physical copy, which I thought was really cool. I think that's a really cool idea because it's your... You're keeping the people's interest always. You've mm-hmm. got something to go. If you just throw it all at them at once, 
you know, okay, after two months, they're sick of you talking about it. But hey, if you if you plan that out, then you can kind of keep them glued to what you're doing, keep their attention and not bore them. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there was only so much promotion I could do for Rise. And there's other things, you know, that I mean, you know, yesterday or the other day I was just on, on a show and got to play it. And there's new opportunities. But no, I, I think that's a great approach. Yeah. I think that's that's a really cool you know thing to do. Well, so, we'll see what I come up with. Maybe yeah. I'll figure it out in the next forty eight hours or so. <laughs> yeah, and and you will clearly, and yeah. I'm sure you'll come up with a great plan. And I'm sure you've learned a lot, probably interviewing a lot of artists, right? Like that that have talked about how they release there. I mean, is there any like new, interesting, what you know, things you've learned how people are, are putting out their music, or do you feel like there's a consistency from what you're seeing nowadays? What I'm seeing putting out fewer songs, as you know, like mm-hmm. doing the EPs, things like that. Um, putting out just five songs or seven songs. I've always been one of these people that thought you had to put out 12 or 14 yeah. on a full you sure. know, album. And that does work for some of the audiences that I play to. They love the physical copies of, yeah. of the, you know, they're a souvenir yeah. anyway, you know. Um, but I really think that this way of putting out the song a week is just genius right yeah. now with the way things are going. So, yeah, everyone's doing it different. Um, I know another artist, Sean Carson, He's he put out, uh, he'll put out a single three months later, he'll put out another one. Well, he still doesn't have his physical copy yet, but he's going to have it soon. And what's really cool is by then, everybody's going to know all these singles that have come out, you know, and then they can get the souvenir, the physical copy. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone's got different ways of doing it. Well, and, and maybe, you know, doing five or seven songs compared to 14 is a representation of the kind of funding we used to get for projects, too. I'm telling you, I've got 15 <laughs> songs that the producer's working on, but but I was like, you know, let's just go ahead and get some new music out, because I haven't put new music yeah. out, uh, with, with the exception of a single uh, a few weeks back, actually, which was kind of an unexpected thing that came about, but I haven't put out new music in probably five years, so that's too long, you yeah. know? Yeah. And you know, you've also do you you do some leading worship at some churches too? Because you got the last time I, the time before last when I was with Ross, you actually were like, hey Dan, are you available? They like you know and yeah. and you know of course I played in a billion churches as you know side man, but once again as a worship leader, that was a first experience for me. Mm-hmm. And I think you did. Are are you doing that at all anywhere else? I or go there, in or? as um, a guest in different churches, okay. and I've always left myself open to go where I'd like to go. Like if I get a phone call to go on a Sunday, I'll go sing. And it's always a true honor to go sing, you know, yeah. and share that morning with people. Um, but I don't do that like on a regular basis as a worship leader or anything yeah. like that. I, I share songs that I wrote, you know, that I've written. And I also, uh, I'll share some traditional hymns as well. But yeah. you did a great job when you went in there. I, I think I was scheduled that Sunday or couldn't do it or they were looking for somebody. And yeah, they enjoyed you being there. Thank Good, you yeah. for doing that. I mean, that. I had fun. It's, you know, it's it's always um, a good idea. I've learned to take opportunities, even if you feel like, am I you know, am I the guy? And they're like, like rise to the opportunity. There, it always one thing leads to another. But it's cool to to see somebody else who kind of like you know, as I was telling you in this studio here, we've done a lot of things outside of the box. You know, Zach and Tom have their own thing, production company, and. I brought stuff here, but it's it's interesting how there's almost two types of artists after the last 18 months. People have been very productive and people that haven't, right? And so in a way, we're blessed, but it's also because we just decided we weren't going to sit at home and live in fear. We we're going to produce things, and you know, if anything... Uh, the world needs great music now more than ever, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's so it's it's like, but I, I, you know, maybe some people feel paralyzed or whatever it is, but I think there's no better time, you know, the any kind of pinnacle time like this. There's always been this big movements of music that people had, yeah, you know. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, I think it's an amazing time to to make music you know absolutely so um so you've got some shows coming up what uh 
Tell us about some of the shows. Yeah, yeah so uh, the first weekend in October, October 1st and 2nd, um, are you familiar with the Room in the Inn mission? They no. help They help people transition if they're, if they're homeless in between having a situation, you know, they need some assistance. Uh, there's a big Room in the Inn in Nashville, and they're across the country, but Murray County has one now. So in Columbia, Tennessee, uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church, where I've sang quite a few times, they have a Room in the Inn mission, and so they are actually working working with a hotel there in Columbia and housing people and helping them get jobs and doing things. It's an amazing mission. So every year they have a fundraiser. And last year they started with an Oktoberfest and they got like over $40,000. So this is their second annual Oktoberfest and I'm going to be playing at that event October 1st. And then I'll be their MC on October 2nd. And I also had the honor of booking the uh, artist. They wanted all Columbia, Tennessee artists to oh, come play. Oh, you booked play. the whole, all yeah, the Yeah, so we, awesome. we put it together and these artists, you know, have volunteered to come play and it's it's amazing what what that's I love Maury County, Columbia, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, I first started, I was uh, playing quite a bit with two steel girls yeah. that are out of there and so we like played the Mule Festival, right? Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to know since the p- pandemic pretty well your mayor, Andy, mm-hmm. right? Who's an awesome guy. He's like a hero mayor that kept things open and hasn't really played ball with you know he's he's a freedom guy and and so it seems there's a lot of arts and things that are thriving in Columbia Tennessee that you wouldn't know until you kind of dig in there but there's so so who are some of the talented some of the talent that you uh, Laura Lane okay. she's gonna be on I, have you met Laura I don't think so I'll have to introduce you she's okay. a great artist so Laura Lane's gonna play uh, Sean Carson Don Phillips Yonder Grove they're gonna be playing um, Damian Boggs will be playing and Mackie Kaler and so, I mean, that's a pretty, it's it's versatile. We've got country, we've got rock, you know, we got blues, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, that Oktoberfest event, I'm looking forward to, to having that. And then I got another Oktoberfest the next weekend. It's not a benefit, but it's a traditional Oktoberfest over in Hohenwald, Tennessee. I'm going to play a full band uh, gig and have the new music out that week. And Sweet. Yes. So you'll do everything from a solo act to a band, and, and you know, which is really important nowadays to be versatile like that yeah I'm a I don't want to call myself a guitarist especially around you because you're an amazing guitarist but but I I just play enough to get by play some rhythm and I do I'll play maybe a two or three hour thing in a cafe every now and then or you know a one hour show somewhere um just me and the guitar but I do prefer to have other musicians around me that really know their instrument. <laughs> it's an interesting thing as somebody myself who's, you know, grew up playing in the band and then I do solo things, duo things and different things and they're all different like what works, you mm-hmm. know, and you have to get confident in that thing. But yeah, sometimes one of the most intimate I always find it very easy to play with the band, you know, but sometimes just you know, you and an instrument can be intimidating and it takes time to get confidence or whatever. But there's also a freedom in that too yes. because you you can do things you can go in and out of time you can do a lot of different things that you wouldn't be able to do with a band you yeah. know so it's it's fun when you have more experience in that world to have more confidence to explore different ways of doing things, you know? Yes, and like playing in the churches, like you were mentioning. Yeah. I mean, that's just me and the guitar. Yeah. That, that's That's been good for me over the years to be able to do that and play in the assisted livings and, yeah. you know, the nursing care centers. It's just me and the guitar. Yeah. And and that's great for songs that I've written because, you know, I know those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I do a lot of uh, 40s, 30s blues type standards. Oh, you know, cool. I love that kind of music as well. Yeah. So that's where, you know, pass it over to the band because they're the experts on that Sweet. kind of music, yeah. So that's cool to know. So you you yourself, because your show is very diverse stylistically, but even your show, when you perform, because you've got a straight-ahead country thing, but I didn't even realize you had a whole 30, 40s blues type of thing. I do. I've actually got a whole show devoted to that. We've, we've done the traditional, uh, the sequin gown thing, you know, and the jazzy feel. So that's and, what I yeah, want to say is yeah. because the ask is like, you know, when I think of, um, blues 40s, you had that post-war jump blues, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very cool. Yeah, so I've always liked that kind of music and the more traditional country music. And 
maybe years ago it wouldn't have worked to have them, you know, merge. But today they they work so well together. Texas swing and and that kind of 40 stuff kind of goes together. So yeah. I throw it all in together and somehow it works and the audience seems to enjoy it. <laughs> I love that you know Texas swing cuz when I lived in Texas, uh-huh. that's, you know, I played in western swing bands. We ta- called it Texas swing I there. I love that kind of music. And I played you know, I was in a band called the Rounders, and we played with a lot of, you know, older guys that played in Bob Will's band back in the day. There were like six steel players in Texas that were just the most amazing steel players you ever heard. And, and you know, Bob wanted like a big horn, like big band, but mm-hmm. he his shtick, because he got famous, you know, writing music for Westerns, was not as much that instrumentation. So the point is, the pedal steel player had to be like the the horn section that da da you uh-huh. know. So these guys were just amazing. Some fiddle players. There's a bunch of guys that were just amazing. Mm-hmm. And but playing in Texas where people are dancing, there were so many times where I'm like, you know, I'm looking up from my guitar from a guitar solo. I see a woman flying through the air. I'm like, I hope he catches her and always caught her, you know. <laughs> uh, but just it was that's an amazing place to play that music because people can really dance. You know? I love going to Texas. I was just down there last January. Oh, yeah? That's another thing. Um, even through this whole past year and a half, when I say things have gone well, you know, I went and uh, did the Penny Gilly show, and she is amazing. Uh, she's got her show on RFD TV. Got to go down to Texas to one of their traditional uh, dance halls, Little Reds, and and yeah, that I love that kind of music yeah. so much because people are up dancing. That is so cool that you played that kind of music. And and I love when I go visit my parents in Texas. They're in Granbury, Texas, like an hour. Uh, um, south of Fort Worth, mm-hmm. of hearing these old stations that play all this authentic music, whether it be blues or country. You know, there's there's something really cool about driving out in the sticks in Texas and listening to that music. Yes, and yes. it brings me back. You know. Yeah. And it's you know for me, I moved. You know, I um, moved from Southern California to Texas when I was 18 because of all the music coming out of Texas. I wanted to be immersed in it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was a great place to be to soak that all up. That's so great. um totally different direction, but I've noticed that you've kind of become a TikTok sensation. Right? Oh, I've just started playing on there. <laughs> that is so much fun. And what is funny about it is I've never been great about posting on social media. Yeah. And so I finally got on Instagram like a year ago. Oh, <laughs> like yeah? seriously. Yeah. yeah, just doing Facebook every and and so I started doing those and I thought, what is this TikTok? This looks completely ridiculous. And one day I just decided to get on there and I have had so much fun with that. Yeah. Well, I notice every now and then I'm looking, I'm like, geez, you're, you know, you get thousands of views and I'm like, wow, you're like rocking the TikTok. It's the funniest thing. I made this little video of an artist, Sean Carson, who I mentioned earlier, him and my friend, Teresa Kay, we went down to Centerville, Tennessee. I was just audience support. You know, I was going down there because Sean was the uh, featured guest on the Grinder Switch Hour radio show. And so me and Teresa went down there and afterwards we went and grabbed a burger and I stood there with a little video as they went walking down the street and he started dancing to music that wasn't playing. And I put that song, you know, there she was just walking down the street. Oh, yeah. That thing has 150,000 views. And now I went from 43 followers to 600 and something. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is so cool. Yeah. It's fun. And, and there's no way you could plan that that's what they like. <laughs> that's the thing is like. <laughs> it cracks it's, me it's, up. Because <laughs> I notice people on TikTok where they. They get something that sticks, and then they keep trying to nail it, and it never happens again like that. Nope. And and so the moral of the story is just go for it. See if it sticks. Yeah. You know? And do it because it's fun, not because totally. you feel like you have to do this yeah. thing. Yeah. I got to do social media. Don't let it be that. Let it be fun. Well, you know, the funny thing is, like, I had a friend that my friend Amber was like, you know, you should get on TikTok. And I was one of those people that was, like, you know, holding up the cross right now. Uh, like... You know, this is, you know, oh, no, this is just, I'm not going to be lip-syncing this cheesy pop and rap songs. (laughs) This is not me at all. Then I was like, you know, I started surfing around. I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to post videos of me playing, Mm -hmm. whether it be with the band. And, you know, the thing, the interesting thing, the thing that always gets the most views is when I'm playing jazz on my 335, just me. 
and playing like a jazz standard. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I could rock out, and it's like, nope, 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 Dan, we want the jazz. And I'm like, well, this is TikTok. I'm like, man, you know, these Chinese kids are rocking out on the jazz, you know? But, and I love it. But the funny thing is, when I told people I got on TikTok, I, people were like, literally, like, some people were losing their everything mm-hmm. like this one guy goes like oh. Zach. he got yeah, yeah, Zach's losing it I got Zach losing it over here uh this guy was like oh Dan you're a Chinese sympathizer now I'm like block <laughs> I'm like come on dude like seriously you know what I'm like that there's no and this is my theory for this is what I tell people for all the people that go well you know the communists have taken over and TikTok I go okay well you know what they've they have gotten in, immersed themselves in every aspect of our society. Well, I'm going to flip those little Chinese kids into some freedom-loving jazzers, and they're going to go out in the street. You know, and that's my attitude is, hey, why can't, why can't I be there and do my thing? That's the whole point is I think my friends thought that all of a sudden that I was going to be this stereotypical guy doing stupid dances to cheesy pop songs. Like, no, I'm just being Dan. I'm just doing it over there. And my whole attitude that I've realized now with all these things, because I finally got on Twitter. Yeah. You know, and that was like to promote Rise. And it's because I finally opened my mind up Mm -hmm. to TikTok that I was able to open my mind up to Twitter. And it's the simple reason why I, you know, did it is like I realized that I have a certain demographic of listeners on Facebook. They're not the exact same people as Instagram. Some of them are. But I have a whole bunch of different people on Instagram. The TikTok people are totally different people. And yes, I do like that I'm putting some thoughtful music in the world for kids to – and they love it. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is great. You know, yep. Once again, back to that thing where I was fueled by older people. Now I like the energy of the younger people. They're like, hey, I don't know what that is. He's playing some of those wrong notes, some of those weird jazz notes, <laughs> but it's pretty cool. you know. Yeah. And then like, hey, if that – it opens up the palette to you know some more artists, more music, or people dig back into the standards and the classics. Mm-hmm. Great because yep. people did that for me, yeah. you know. And so, but the bottom line, TikTok is is a totally different demographic. And then what? Finally, I asked my friend. I was like, hey, you know, it was a friend that uh, my friend Alexis was helping me promote Rise and really giving me a really strategic map of, of how to promote a single and do pre-save and all this stuff that w- was really helpful and you know and she goes and I said do you think is there really a reason why I should be on Twitter and she goes well you can have a different totally different demographic of people and I was like that's it that's all I needed to hear right because I want as many fans as possible they don't all have to be in the same places right and so that's one of the things I've learned the more diverse my music is you know there are some people that yeah, everybody loves the flamenco stuff. Nobody, you know, but some people don't like the jazzy stuff, and some people really like the blues or they like the soul. I'm like, okay, but you know, between all of you, I've got something for all of you. And if I just only went one direction, then there goes, you know, a small, smaller number of fans. So, mm-hmm. you know, back to this idea, I think diversity is really good, and you know, it's an interesting thought. Back to my radio days and, and producing music for jingles and for the Tennessee Lottery and CMT and all these different things. You know, one of the things I, I learned about corporate radios, the name of the game was they test market, get people. They want to know if you're African American between 30 to 45 and you make, you know, 50 to 75 grand. We want to know what song you liked so we can, you know, because. Uh, uh, radio is all based on, you know, sales and ads, right? And so the companies want to know they have the right demographic to sell their product. But my attitude has always been, um, what if you exposed your product to a new audience through music? Why do you, you know, in other words, I think that whole system was a failure because they were trying to get people in one little box musically, and then and then what do you do? You use music to segregate the venues, but the the whole theory is outdated because people like different genres of music nowadays. There are people mm-hmm. that like jazz, R and B, hip hop, country. You know, y- you can't make people just listen to one thing. So, 
from a marketing standpoint, it seems like these companies would be wise maybe if if they looked at marketing in a different way that, hey, yes, technically these people are known to buy my product, but can I think of a way to get new people to buy my product? Mm -hmm. So I think that, that whole idea is a failure anyways, and I think the name of the game is diversity. I agree. I, I love that. Yeah. I've witnessed it. You know, yeah, so it, you know it, what I'm talking I, about, I remember right? a few years ago I was asked to go play at a place. It was in um, East Nashville. I can't remember the place. But um, after I got off the stage, some girls came up to me who were probably like 20, 21 years old. And they said, what kind of music is that you're playing? What is that? And I said, that's just country. Well, to them, it wasn't country. That was traditional. It was I was to me, that was country in my head. But that was actually an older style of, of music you know they weren't exposed to it as much to them it was something brand new and it was because i played it in a different place that would normally play that kind of music and it was accepted you know uh, you it, know what i'm it, talking about yes and i know what you're uh, it's an interesting thing that i learned firsthand from being the you know from being somebody who was always different and natural and wanted to, to do my own thing, I wasn't here to just be like everyone else. And so when I got the opportunity to start doing jingles for CMT, they made me their rock guy. I was doing Trick My Truck, and I'm like, this is great because I feel like in a way I've been validated by doing something for country music television, yeah. but I'm doing it my way, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there's, there's a really interesting experience I had uh, where I did music for the um, – Always, oh, it was the first thing I did. It was Man vs. Vegas. It was a really cheesy show. But I did some really rocking stuff. And I I did a bunch of different short pieces. And this one was this really heavy, dark, metal type of sounding thing. So I'm, I didn't know if I got the first gig. I wasn't going to know until I watched to see if the producer gave me the gig, you know, for the trailer music mm -hmm. show. So I was watching. It was like the... Was it the the Renegades, like Willie Nelson, um, uh, Johnny Cash, and that whole crew, Waylon, right? What was it? The the Outlaws, yeah. right? Okay, and so yeah, I was going to say Highwaymen, Highwaymen. Yes, I was watching this whole show on there. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, I was like, had my you know face turned, and I heard some really dark rock and metal music, and I was like. What the hell is that on CMT? And I turn around, I'm like, oh, that's my song. I forgot I recorded it. <laughs> and I just remembered how badass that felt. That here, right after the Outlaws, guys uh -huh. who did things their way, here's I'm doing my metal song on country music television, yep. and it, you know, and it was, it felt great. But you know, people like diversity. And back to okay, what I was going to say is they made me their rock guy, and that was a time period where Viacom. MTV was trying to market to younger hip kids and bring rock to, you know, country music. Now, you could mm -hmm. make the theory that it ruined country music and whatever. But, you know, peop the, the bottom line is if you look at a lot of m modern country music in the last, you know, 20 years, uh, a lot of it is heavy, almost sounds like 80s rock, like the music portion of it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's they wanted to go in a rock direction, more edgy to bring in the young people. But what I noticed is that as those young people got in through that way, then they started checking out Merle Haggard sure and Whalen and all that. Yeah. And then they didn't want the other stuff. And, and the young people became the purists. And you couldn't hide it from them. Then you know, probably the industry is like, no, you you gotta listen to this stuff. And they're like, no. So people like Chris Stapleton, that whole phenomenon, the industry sees as a mistake. Like, oh, like kind of like the Nora Jones phenomenon. Like, well, they broke every rule. Yes, but you guys lost track of that. People like that rootsy, edgy, real raw stuff, mm -hmm. right? And so it's funny how that works, where they tried to keep the kids. And this modern camp and the kids were like, no, we like the old stuff. And and I noticed doing radio tours and stuff with country artists, some that like this artist, Jody Lynn, that was an incredible, authentic, real country singer that could really sing. And people were blown away and they'd call in the radio station like, what is this? I need to. And it's that same thing. It's like when people hear the real thing, they, they it feels different. It moves them and they want it, mm -hmm. you know. 
So it's kind of cool how that works, you know? Yeah. And I think it's great to have variety. You know, yeah, I, I totally. think it's great. One person cannot entertain the whole world. That's 100%. what my dad always told me. You know, everybody yeah. likes something different. But the traditional country sound, there are so many people, so many artists still making that sound. I know. Brand new music. Yeah. You know, we don't have to go back, you know, and say it's just the classics that have already been recorded, which are wonderful and we appreciate. But there's new music, you know, out there. And I wanted to tell you, I don't know if I, I had told you this in advance, but um, every Tuesday on my show, I play just straight traditional country music, but it's not classic. It's new. Yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll play yeah, yeah. the classics as well. And that ended up getting picked up by a uh, keepingitcountrylive.com. So it's played every Thursday night uh, they're playing this uh, traditional country music show and all these artists that have brand new music out with that traditional sound with the steel guitar the Texas swing you know the fiddles so they picked up your show as in they're playing yes. your as part of their thing right yeah so, so it, it's, it's syndicated you know so it's kind of awesome. cool it's that's just awesome. just the country show that I do is syndicated you know because I love to keep myself yeah. open to play all genres yeah. throughout the week you know yeah so that's an interesting thing that that you can go, well, I'm playing all these different genres of country music, but the first one that gets syndicated is traditional country music, mm-hmm. right? And that's the market speaking. There's there's a, you know, and so it's an interesting thing as I look at the whole like Chris Stapleton, that whole phenomenon, and I, I've said it happened by mistake, but it was like it it didn't happen by mistake. It was this great music that the audience demanded but the in- industry was like no we don't that's not what we do you know they're they're not on the you know on the all their award shows or whatever it was like this hidden it, it just is total grassroots uprising yeah. you know it's happened and instead of the industry going oh look that sells let's they're like no nope, we're still over here we're pretending it's not happening and it's it's awesome how the free market works and people's interest is the market will find a way for that music to come up to the surface. Yeah. They'll demand it, you know, and and if and eventually if some of the, the industry, um, you know, um, you know, mediums don't, you know, start supporting it, they might become less relevant. Like that music, the music will speak for itself. The yeah. people will find a way to get it and it's it's fun how that works and so it's a good um just kind of reminder just do your thing do what you believe in Mm -hmm. and and don't worry about what the market is make the music and find your people you know there's a great um songwriter dave loggins that i met was super hit songwriter and you know he's I had a random experience where it was almost prophetic experience where I met him after writing a song with a friend who went over to Dave's house and he told me all these things about me, like what I am that it was almost like future me. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was really prophetic. But, you know, he said, I, I got to the point where, um, you know, I would write a song and one out of five songs was a hit song. And then I got to the point where if I wrote a song and it wasn't a hit song, I would go look in the mirror and go, what the hell are you doing with your life? You know? And, and he goes, I just found my thing, my niche, my sound, and you know, and it hit. And he goes, you have to believe that there is a audience of you know, you know, two hundred million people that are dying for your music. You just have to make it and find a way to get it to them. And I love that approach to in and being authentic, finding your sound, and then you find a way to get it to the people. Right. And his his theory, which I like, is. Those people are waiting for your music. They're there. Your fans are already there. Mm-hmm. They just need access to your music, and you need to find a creative way to get it to them. But back to that thing is just do your thing. Create your sign, your sound. Figure out what it is. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. And and you know that can be a hard thing in Nashville. You're looking around at what everybody else is doing, and it hasn't been the easiest thing for me to you know stay strong and do my thing. But I have – and it serves you well, right? But in the end, you know, industry, schmindustry, it's like I think a real artist is you look in in the mirror 40, 50 years down the line and go, I am who I am. That's mm-hmm. the mark of success is that you were faithful to who you are as a human being. You just represented yourself. And when you do that, you empower other people to do that, right? Absolutely. Like Chris Stapleton, you mentioned, yeah. he he was himself, and he kind of stuck to his guns on it, you know? And where did it bring him? 
massive success. Yes. I mean, it, I remember after he won his uh, the first award and everybody was like, oh, Chris Stapleton. Who's Chris Stapleton? People at WSM were saying, we've known who he was for years. He's been on our shows, you know. It's really awesome, you and, know. And it's just the music found a way. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't yeah. the industry. The the music created the industry. And, and that's how music has always been. Like, you know, Motown Records started off with one single with Barry Gordy believing in one artist and taking a chance and bringing in a studio band and built an empire from it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I it's like good to... Just remind people, just, you know, do your thing, believe in it, and don't worry about, you know, like, I feel like in general, in a town like Nashville, you probably have 2% innovators and, and mostly a bunch of followers, but it's the innovators that are always the most successful. And sometimes innovating can be doing classic music in modern times, mm-hmm. you know, true. and how you put it together. So awesome. So uh, great to hang out with you and chat awesome. with you. Thank and, you. And, and yeah, and thank you for supporting me and all the artists that you support. Um, so where can people uh, find your music? What are your socials? It's all under Brenda Lynn Allen. So you can go to brendalynnallen.com. And one of these days, that website's going to look a little better. But it's there. And you can reach me on Facebook, TikTok, of course. That's right. Twitter and Instagram. It's all under my name, Brenda Lynn Allen. It might have music at the end, but it's easy to find on all of them. And, uh, yeah, I would love to hear from everybody. And thank you for your music and for being you, Dan, and for just being yourself. And all these other artists that I have the honor of promoting, they are just amazing. And when people ask ask me what I listen to these days, it's y'all. You know what I mean? That's my favorite music that's out there. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging with us. You've been listening to Music City Revival, and you can find us, musiccityrevival.live on iTunes. Uh, And uh, I'm Dan Higgins signing off.